Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. I caught up earlier today with Jeff Atkins. He's the MD at Vital Metals and ASX. Rare Earths developers seem to be producer. We talked through uh, their plans to get into production within the next 12 months, um, an offtake with a Norwegian uh, processor and uh, how they're going to insert themselves into the Rare Earths ecosystem of North America. If you want our thoughts and opinions on the conversation, the company, the MD, uh, you can find that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club, where you can also find detailed company reports and analysis. There are commentaries from experts from around the world on a variety of companies and commodities. We've got training courses on there to help you with your diligence process. We've got summaries of other interviews that we've done just to save you some time. And if you want to join a thriving community of investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other in a nice, friendly, and safe environment, uh, free from trolling, abuse, or judgment, you can join them at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. Jeff, how are you doing, sir? Very well, thanks. How about yourself? Not too bad, not too bad. So where in the world are you? I'm currently sitting uh, here in Sydney, in Australia. Uh, it's beautiful summer weather. Yes, yes, I, I hear. Uh, but hopefully not, not too much time for the beach. All hard work, I expect. Lots of hard work, but um, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a good time to be here. Very good, very good. Um, we are delighted to be talking about your story. I think there's a lot of interest in rare earths at the moment. Um, generalists coming in, trying to understand what it is. It sounds very, very complicated. So we'll get into that in a second. Uh, but well, first of all, why don't you kick off? Give us that one minute overview of your business, and I'll pick it up with some questions after that. Okay, so Vital Metals, we are currently developing the Netchalacho Rare Earth Project up in Canada. Uh, we are about to mobilise our mining fleet um, to commence mining uh, within the next month or so with full first production uh, in 2021 uh, to be the first rare earth miner in Canada. Right, fantastic. Now, you spent most of last year around 2025 million market cap. Since August, market's gone a little bit nuts and appreciating the story you're telling. So I'm interested in your story and I was saying what, what you're trying to achieve there. Um, should we start off with a little bit about the team? Who are you guys? So basically, the, the majority of the team has come out of Linus. My background is Linus. Um, the senior management team is Linus. And our entire team has come out of operating rare earth companies. So really what we're doing with Vital is we're looking to apply all the lessons that we've learned through developing and operating rare earth mines and, and operations. and putting that into, into practice for, um, for Vital Metals. So what sort of roles were you um, performing within Linus? So my role at Linus was, uh, I had two, two functions there. The first one was around project development. So that is um, getting the Mount Weld project and Malaysian projects up and running. And then also, and perhaps more importantly for my current role, was looking at the strategic direction of, of Linus and looking at what, what opportunities there were Around uh, around the world with other deposits to perhaps partner with or secure sources of uh, of feedstock for the plant in Malaysia. Okay, and um, and who you supported by? What, what sort of roles were they performing? In? And at what stage was this? What what was Linus when you were there? So I joined in two thousand and seven. So this was uh, before we'd started any construction activities, but at that point we were trying to understand what what we wanted Linus to look like in five years, ten years time. And this was the time when you had a lot of projects popping up around the world. 
And my role there was really trying to understand which ones we uh, we felt actually had a had the potential to um, to actually get into operation, and uh, that we should really keep an eye on. Right. Okay. That's that's Shirley, right? That is Shirley the cat. Um, okay. Insists on joining in any any video call. Why not? It's a great story. Why not? Um, <laughs> we can expect to see a bit more of Shirley, I suspect. Fantastic. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> Everyone's welcome. Um, okay, well, see, I mean, I'm interested in that because I've heard you tell your story before about how you kind of position yourselves now, and I wanted to understand the lessons learned from Linus and what you're bringing to the table with that. So let, let's move into business plan because it, it's a, it's a complicated space for us. It's sort of loved and unloved in, in equal measure and misunderstood um, too. So what did you learn there and where do you sort of see yourself fitting in the current rare earth ecosystem? I, I think one of the biggest lessons that we learned is with rare earths, it's very easy to overcomplicate things. And you chase the pot at the end of the rainbow and all you end up doing is just getting yourself into a bit of a mess. And you end up with these projects which are very large, very complex and have and inherently have a very high level of risk. So the major lesson that we've learned is that you can't take the approach of a traditional mining project of just make it as big as possible and then the market will come. With rare earths, you actually have to meet the market. So that means understand what volume of materials the market will, un will accept at any particular time and, and size your plant accordingly for that. The second thing is that with rare earth projects, they typically take a lot longer to actually ramp up operationally than what you expect. So you need to actually plan for that on day one, because if you don't, what you're left with is a situation where you have all of this capital tied up into a plant, which isn't actually being utilised. So once again, it comes to that point of appropriately size your, your operation on day one, and then scale that and give yourself the flexibility to be able to move with the market as time goes on. Right, but but for the, again, for the uninitiated or journalists kind of coming into this, China is a massive component of, of, of this. And you guys at Linus will have, well, when you were at Linus, you'll have seen how much control they exert in the marketplace. So again, I just, I'm just trying to understand the, the, the lessons learned and, and how that's sort of driving how you're positioning yourself today. So, so again, what, 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 was, what was kind of, um, not scaring you, but what was perturbing you about the way that the Chinese control the rare earth market? Look, I think the biggest thing is you have to understand that you're entering a market where you're going to be a small player. You know, you're not going to control the price. So the number one thing you have to do is you have to be competitive. And that's competitive with the quality of the product and also the the price which you're able to produce it at and more than that as well you have to be able to guarantee the security of supply and that's where the competitiveness comes in and that's really what the focus is for vital is achieving those three things okay but it's not really a case of being competitive it's being subservient to subservient to but allowing yourself to make more. We saw this with a, with a graphite company, I think, in Nouveau Mont, and they said, we don't want to compete with the Chinese because they will crush us, but we need to be able to compete 
globally. So we're happy to just sit behind them so that we, you found your need. And this, this is what I mean about this positioning thing is really, really important because I, I buy what you're saying about maybe, uh, you know, trying to raise a massive amount of capex and taking a long time to get into production and try and work your way down the supply chain to for bigger margin. But the reality is if you can't do that without the Chinese being involved, you're going to struggle, right? Look, potentially, but it just depends on how you actually position yourself in that market. The, the way that the one of the big changes in rare earths is there is a push for diversified supply chains. And you've got these products which are critical to a variety of strategic um, uses and also for products which are you know, critically important for major changes in the way that we actually um, operate in the world around you know, electrification, renewable energies, things like that. And as soon as you get a product which is critical in that sort of um, in that sort of area, you'll naturally have companies seeking to diversify that supply chain and make sure and take take actions so that they have the security of supply. And that means it doesn't matter what the product is and where and 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 who controls the market. When a product is that important, naturally companies will seek to um, to find alternate sources and to and to really have fallback options. Okay, but what are you trying to produce? You're talking about producing a rare earth carbonate. So what's the market for that? What are you going to be able to make from that? So our market is selling to rare earth separation facilities. And this is where one of the major pushes which we have in, in the world at the moment is around the establishing rare earth supply chains. And you've got North America undertaking a real strategy at the moment to to implement a rare earth supply chain, which includes separation facilities, metal manufacturing, magnet manufacturing. And you've got exactly the same thing in the EU at the moment as well, where really these pushes to establish these supply chains. Now, Europe's a little bit further advanced as they, have, they are those manufacturers there. But in each of those areas and each of those supply chains, the number one element which they require is a guaranteed supply of the feedstock to it. And that's really where we see that we have a have a role to play. But but what are you going to be supplying into them? And what do you know now about your ability to make you know a decent margin on that? You know, so like how much demand is there? You know, where do you sit? How much competition? So what do you, what's the what's the what's it look like when we look ahead? What it looks like as 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 we look ahead is that demand is increasing and it is increasing rapidly. Um, the key focus, though, is in the first instance, you have to prove that you're actually able to produce the product and produce that product, that specification. And until you actually do that, you can't even think about trying to increase your, your production and your volumes, because if you can't produce the product, then you're never going to sell it. So that's really what our focus is in the first instance, is proving to the market that we can produce that product at spec and then we'll be in a position to be able to increase our production to meet uh, the forecast demand. Right, okay. And, and again, I think that one of the problems with Rarus is it's just it's just a big, broad descriptor for, you know, 17 elements. And what's, here's Shirley, um, what's, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll ask Shirley what she thinks in a second, but, um, you know, you're supplying the carbonate, you're supplying into these, you know, separation facilities globally, whoever they are. I mean, I would love you to tell me, who they are and what are the, what are they seeking from you and does your does your carbonate product give that to them? Yeah. So 
And this is uh, something with rare earths at the moment, which actually makes it a little bit easier to understand, I think, than it was uh, 10 years ago. Currently, rare earths are driven by magnets, and it's driven by the, the metals which go into producing the magnets. And that is neodymium, praseodymium. So they're the magnets used in electric vehicles, uh, wind turbines, anything to do with miniaturization, robotization, um, artificial intelligence, those types of things. So those are the elements which we're producing. And our carbonate product has a very high proportion of those which is able to go into that supply chain. Right, okay. And again, where are you? You're about to go into uh, uh, Natural Arts Show. You're, you, you've mobilized the team. You're gonna be getting into production. And what are you walking up there with? Have you got offtake agreements? Because I get, I get the low CapEx component, which is, which yep. is great. Uh, makes it easy to kick things off, and we'll talk about what that, how you grow that. But where are these offtake agreements? Where who are your partners? What have they been testing? So we've signed a definitive offtake agreement with a Norwegian company called Retech. So Retech, uh, I first uh, met the guys at Retech back in two thousand and nine, and so have um, we've been building that relationship for the last 10, 11 years. Um, they've been operating a um, a pilot plant up in up in Norway for almost almost ten years now, and are ready to commercialise that that technology. So, the agreement we have with them is starting off at a thousand ton a year of uh, of rare earths, uh, which is excluding cerium. Um, of that, approximately half of those of that material will be the magnet um, the magnet rare earths. What what's Shirley doing? We need to know. Ah. Uh, She's looks like she's about to um, throw up on me to tell you the truth. We've got, we've got a verbal, verbal action. Excellent. Yeah. It's live on Strafford. Yeah, I think there's half investment, half uh, nature documentary, which is, we're, we're all about learning here. That's good. That's yes. <laughs> good. Welcome okay. My world. <laughs> so, so let's talk about, so you're, you're producing a rare uh, concentrate in Canada, exporting it over to Europe. Uh, for, yep. um, for for them to kind of process. So what does that relationship look like? I mean, who's making the money here? So we're operating more, um, well, it's almost, well, it is a partnership model. Is it 100% offtake? Uh, it's not 100% of our offtake. We certainly have the um, the option there for secondary offtake partners. And now that we've signed Retech to be our cornerstone customer, we can now progress those those other discussions. But we certainly see Retech as being, as I say, our cornerstone customer for moving forward. Um, we believe that they have a, a real, um, one of their strengths is the potential to grow and expand their business. And the relationship we have with them is, and the nature of our agreement is one which we're yeah, looking forward to going down that journey together. Right, so talk to me about the numbers. Like I said, you know, August, 20, 25 million market cap. Today, 180 million market cap. The market's expecting great things from you. So how, how do you deliver on that financially? We get, so the, can you talk us through like the, the low CapEx numbers, the you yeah. know, set projected sales, the timing of all of the above? Yeah, so from our perspective, our focus from day one has been on achieving the lowest possible cost. So our target has always been around about the uh, the $20 million Australian mark for total construction costs, which is, yeah, that's a factor less than the, than the normal um, 
uh, plans for rare earth projects. And that's really critical for, for funding and more importantly for speed of getting into operations. So because of, we have such a low capex, that is then enabling us to uh, mobilise our mining fleet this year and looking at first feed into the kiln by the end of the year. Right. And how much money have you spent to date getting here? We've spent around about 20 million. Right. And how much have you raised in total? Uh, we, when Vital took over um, the private company which did the original deal, which was Cheetah Resources, um, there was 15 million. And then we've, we've since, um, from that, we've since spent another uh, 4 million. Right. And have you, have you put out to the market what you're projecting or hope, hoping to achieve? And, you know, some, some, again, some line of sight for the next five years or so? No, we haven't put out the full um, projections there. The, one of the lessons that we've learned is that you have to actually meet the market. And so our plans are to actually have a, have a plant which is able to react to the market conditions and to build in the flexibility to be able to actually grow according to those market demands. Right. So, so we don't have a, have a fixed, we will be you know, 1,000 tonnes, 2,000 tonnes, et cetera, moving year by year. Our focus is really in getting our plant built, having a, the capacity to supply retech with their with their offtake and then building the capacity of that plant as demand grows right so we see that we see similar models in mining right where they want to start off small get some revenue going which funds the next stage of growth and etc etc and you, you kind of you build up over time it, what are you, what are your plans how are you going to grow because you've got to deliver a growth story into the marketplace absolutely so Necholacho itself while we're starting at this level Necholacho is actually a massive project. I mean, we have well over a million tonne of contained rare earths in that project. That's enough for, uh, that's a generational asset. So we have as much capacity to, um, to expand our operation as the market demands. The real uh, challenge for us is to get ourselves into the position to be able to take advantage of that. Um, and that's the process which we're going through today but always with the, with the eye of how we're going to expand that in the future. To that end, I mean, at the moment, we're currently undertaking a drilling program on the, one of the larger areas there to define a, with the plan being to, or the target being to define a mine plan for that future operation so that we can start the process of getting that into development as well. Right, now notice that you're looking at you're looking for a specific type of ore because you're talking about using ore sorters as part of the solution, and again to keep the costs down. So you're looking for larger um, sizes of, of rock or, or soil. So do you eventually then go back and recycle what has been sorted <laughs> sorted out before? Prima donna, that one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so for, for for anyone listening on podcast, there's a cat wandering back and forward in front of Jeff's face. So that's what's happening and why I'm laughing, because it's quite amazing. Because <laughs> um, the podcast people can't quite see what's going on. A delightful white, is it Siamese? Are we going Siamese? What is no, uh, Ragdoll. Ragdoll. Very, very pretty. Yes. Very fluffy. Ragdoll who thinks that she's um, listened to enough of these um, presentations that she knows how to join in and, and add value. Well, she is. She is. Uh, anyway, back to the back to the question is, which is, I, you know, again, because it, it just comes to the models, right? We will get cash flowing. We're going to use all sort of technology. We're going to start small and we're going to build up cash flows. But then you're sitting with a big bunch of tailings, which you can come back to at some later point or is they, that's well, gone? 
No, look, one of the beauties of, um, of ore sorting is, for one thing, we don't actually end up with tailings. All we end up with is a bit of crushed quartz. So that rock coming out of the, uh, out of the ore sorter, um, the, uh, the non-mineralised material, we can use that on roads and things like that. So that's one of the great things there. Um, any undersized material, we will feed that through a gravity circuit, so like a dense media separation, to upgrade that before before processing it. So, no, look, where it will be a very low. Um, it, there's not going to really there's not going to be any waste coming off the uh, off the operation. Um, very low impact. Anything which comes out, we'll be able to use around the site on things like roads, airstrip, things like that. Right. Okay. Uh, particularly at that startup operation. Right. Okay. And and what is it that you're after? I mean, again, just for again for generalists, we, you know, there's light earths and there are heavy, heavy rare earths. You know, is, so light rare earths and heavy rare earths. Like, what are you chasing? For us, it's really about it's all the magnet materials. So our focus, naturally, our deposit is a light rare earth deposit. We do have some heavies, but it is all about the magnet materials. So it's about that neodymium and the presidium. They're the, they're the the elements which make or break these projects. Right. Okay. And we've heard, we see a lot of talk in the market. So it's going to be a bit macro here, but there's a lot of talk from the rare earth companies that we speak to about their ability to supply into the same market magnets for automotive, for OEMs. Um, and it, it, there is a heavy reliance on this, this Chinese uh, factor, you know, to get, get the funding. So they want to set, they talk about sitting outside the the Chinese ecosystem, but then go running to it for for capitals, which kind of puts them firmly at the door of the Chinese uh, ecosystem. Yeah. So, do you see this kind of um, bifurcated market in the sense that with you know U.S. ecosystems, European ecosystems, Asia, Chinese ecosystems happening, that you know where you're going to be able to um, sit, you know, where, where you comfortably insert yourself? Yeah. So look, our focus has always been on, from a sales side of things, we're looking at outside of China for our, for our customers and likewise for, any, for our investors as well. Um, we see that we have a unique opportunity having a North American resource, North American process facilities, and naturally that opens up the possibility for, from an investment side of things, particularly when you look at what's happening over in, um, in the US and Canada at the moment. But really positioning ourselves as, as being a supplier outside of China, I think, is, a, um, is certainly a strategic advantage in the, current, in the current climate. So why have you only got one partner at the moment? Given you're so close to production, what, what's, what, what are you waiting for or what's the market not believing in terms of the, 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 the sorts of people that you should be speaking to? The key things which we were looking for is we wanted the right partner. And I think that's, that's critical to the success of the project. First of all, we wanted the right partner, and I firmly believe that we have found that. Um, I, you know, four or five years ago when I started this journey, um, you know, I sat down and said, okay, what customers would I, would I like to get? And Retech was absolutely top of the pile there. Now that we've got them signed up, and that was critical as well for us to finalise our flow sheet, and our product spec. Now that we've got that, we can now look at secondary sources and secondary um, customers. Part of the other challenge, of course, is that when you look at the market outside of China, 
at the moment for separation facilities, you basically have Linus operating a separation plant. You have Silmet operating a se separation plant and everyone else is in that startup phase. And so naturally you have, it's a bit of a chicken and egg situation. You want to sell into that market, but you also have to wait for that market and for those customers to actually develop their plants. So you can't just produce, build a, a massive plant and say, well, we'll sell it outside of China, we'll sell it into the US market because at the moment we just don't have the facilities there. So it is a case of, you know, for those um, operators, before they can say, we will build this plant, they need the guarantee of supply and they need somebody there who is actually producing a mixed rare earth carbonate, which they are able to buy. Once they get that, they can then build their plant. Likewise, so that's where, from our perspective, we don't want to go too big too early because you'd just be left with this with this plant with a lot of material looking to sell and a lot of capital tied up in that operation. But isn't that part of the problem? The fact that it's so small. Not not only do these OEMs and battery manufacturers they want um, you know consistency of the material, they want consistency of volume of supply too, and you can't guarantee them. That with the way you're starting up, you're entirely seems to me focused on reducing the amount of dilution for your shareholders, which is totally admirable. But wouldn't they forgive you if you could say, "Well, look, we're gonna we need a growth component here. So every dollar of yours will be invested for growth. It's, we are gonna insert ourselves into this big ecosystem in North America, Europe, wherever. Um, it's gonna be okay." Why, why, why is such a focus on the dilution component? Because it's, it's not everything. It, no, but the actual focus is more around saying is getting customer acceptance. And that's the critical aspect first. You can't grow, you, you can't build a big plant until you have the acceptance of the customer. And the challenge is actually the best way to actually achieve that. So that's really what we're focused on uh, in this first instance. There's the, the added benefit that it reduces shareholder dilution. But in a lot of ways, that's actually a byproduct of the, of the strategy. So you achieve customer acceptance. Once you get that acceptance, at that point in time, you can then build your, your operation to that larger scale to provide them the, that long-term supply of material. But because rare earths are so specialised, until you are accepted, you won't sell that, those volumes of product. Okay. So that, that's the challenge. It's kind of interesting to me because it's like it seems like you've kind of reframed an existing and accepted um, process of people, you know, building pilot plants, yep. producing stuff, getting, uh, you know, it tested by a variety of, of potential off takers before you then go and build your, your larger plant. I mean, haven't you just reframed that? Because you're getting into production, but it's at the levels that a to pilot extent, plant might produce. To an extent where it's certainly bigger than a pilot plant. And it's actually a, a plant which actually makes money. So that's the, that's the critical aspect. And the other thing is it actually, a, a typical pilot, pilot plant, you might get a ton of material to a customer and they can do a single run, see how you go, and then you have to build your big operation. Now, once you do that big operation, you still have to prove that that big operation is producing product to the right specification. So you still have to go through another acceptance process. All we're doing is we're actually combining the two together. So in our first instance, it's part pilot plant, part commercial operation, which means that we get to provide our customers an ongoing supply of product 
which is of a suitable volume to enable them to test the product, test that it's all at specification working appropriately. And then for us to then we can then scale that up and we can scale that up very quickly. Now, if we were to build a pilot plant, traditional pilot plant, get that accepted, customer says, yes, we want it. Okay, we'll build a big plant. There's three, four years delay. Whereas from our perspective, it's in that point of saying, okay, here's our product. You want more? Great. We'll ramp this up year by year. And so we actually reduce our time frame significantly to right, achieve okay. that, uh, that large volume. Okay, so it's, it's, it's modular in that context in the sense that you can ramp it up without d- delays. Okay, it's interesting. It's interesting. I wonder why it, it, more it, people it, don't do it. Yeah, look, it's a, it is a very different approach. Uh, without a doubt. And it is an approach which um, can't be applied to every project mm. and, it, and it's not suitable for every company. But we believe that for, for our project, it's, it's the appropriate way to, um, to go. And from the risk profile, we believe it actually it offers the lowest risk to our shareholders for the highest rewards. Right. So apart from Retac, the Norwegians, how many more conversations are being happening? How many more companies are going to be testing in the next 12 months? Look, we would be hoping that minimum two to a maximum four. Right, at the same sorts of levels of testing. Look, we'll see where we go with the, with the volumes. Uh, we'd always see Retech as our, as our major customer, but as we expand and increase the production, then there's certainly going to be the scope for other customers to come in. Right. Do you think that markets got just a little bit too excited? You must be stunned by the response since August. Look, I don't think so. I think if you look at um, the comparison with uh, with other rare earth uh, explorers, then I think um, it's more a bit of a re-rate rather than um, than anything else. So, look, obviously happy with the uh, with the share price movement, but um, yeah, I would certainly hope that there is um, there's certainly more. Yet more room for improvement to go. And do you think the market as a whole, and there's obviously a better understanding of what rare earths is. There's a lot of new entrants, I suspect, that will be coming into the space. What do they need to know to be able to compete? Look, I think the biggest thing is rare earths aren't a commodity. You can't just come in and say, great, we're, we're going to build this, build this operation. It's easy. Um, it's the next hot thing and we'll make a success of it. You really have to understand the business. You also have to understand the technology which goes into um, actually operating one of these plants. For us, we've got a team. You know, if you look at our you know, our operational team, six, seven people, you know, they've all had experience with rare earths. They've all got scars and you know, have these lessons that they've learnt. Coming into it fresh without that experience, um, it, it's a tough it's a tough gig. And it's the reason why not a lot of these projects have been developed and certainly haven't been developed successfully. Well, yeah, I, I think it's say, you'd say to investors, if, if they do look at some of these new entrants coming in, rare earths, look at the management team's track record and experience, number one. Absolutely. That's the number one thing. It, nothing beats experience. Brilliant. Jeff, appreciate your time. And Shirley, thank you very much. What a great story. Uh, we will stay in touch uh, uh, with you because it'll be interesting to see how things progress. Sounds like there's a lot, a lot kind of happening this year. Um, yeah. Thank you for your time today. Thank you very much. And um, Shirley, thanks you as well. 
Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.